the Blaze Radio Network. On demand. Welcome to a discussion of radical fundamental principles of freedom, rational self-interest, laissez-faire capitalism, and individual rights. The Yaron Brook Show starts now. Hey everybody, hope you're having a great weekend. Uh, this is the Iran Brook Show on the Blaze Radio Network. And, uh, you know, last time, last time uh, we got a question right at the end of the show about the universal basic income. I, I gave some, uh, some uh, comments about that, but I thought it would be, it's a good topic to really delve a little bit deeply into because it's, it's everywhere right now. Uh, we, we, we just, uh, just, just read a story about Elon Musk, you know, Elon Musk from Tesla and from uh, SpaceX and, uh, battery designer, all, all kind of great, you know, technological ideas. And he was just uh, speaking, I think, in, in front of the Nevada, some commission in Nevada. And he was saying, you know, we've got to regulate artificial intelligence and artificial intelligence is going to destroy jobs. It's going to annihilate jobs. And of course, we're all afraid of robots. And he said, robots are going to take every single job that exists. So we're all going to be unemployed. So the government has to start regulating this because, because, I guess, because. Um, so it's everywhere. Charles Murray a few months ago came out with a conservative uh, plan for uh, universal basic income. So I want to get into that. What is it? Why is it coming up right now? What are the advantages? What are the disadvantages? Where do, where do you guys uh, fall on, on, on the UBI? So if you have an opinion about the universal basic income, everybody gets a basic income. Everybody gets something. Uh, Charles Murray suggests $10,000. Every single person adult gets $10,000 a year from the government. What do you think about that? 888-900-3393, 888-900-3393. Now we'll get to the subtleties of, uh, to the details of uh, Charles, Murray, Charles Murray's proposal because, you know, he's not an idiot. So, uh, so it, has, uh, it has certain features that are, uh, that are worth considering and we'll, we'll get into that uh, in, uh, in a little while and I'll, I'll give you much more detail, much more detail about that. So, uh, if you, but if you want to call 888-900-3393. I also want to talk today about uh, the minimum wage. Again, a lot of stuff coming out about the minimum wage. Big study in Seattle a couple of weeks ago, but uh, other stuff going on in terms of the minimum wage. A lot of uh, cities uh, continue to increase minimum wages to $15 an hour. Good, bad, mediocre. You know, what, what, what is up with this? Why won't the minimum wage go away? Why won't the minimum wage go away? We'll talk about that. And then finally, I want to talk about Ayn Rand. And, and as many of you know, I am uh, the executive chairman. I've been involved with the Ayn Rand Institute for, for many, many years. Um, you know, I used to be the CEO, now chairman. Um, and uh, Ayn Rand was in the news a lot this last week, a lot. So uh, I, I want to talk about why she was in the news so much, what, what's going on, what were the topics that were being covered uh, in the news. Um, I was quoted quite a bit uh, in two news stories, so I want to talk about that a li- uh, about that, and, uh, and, and what are the issues. But also Paul Krugman came out and, and lashed out at Ayn Rand as he does about once a quarter. So is that a good thing, bad thing? Uh, what do we think uh, generally about, um, what do I think, what do we think, what do I think about all this attention that uh, Ayn Rand is getting in the press uh, these days. So uh, we'll talk about that as well. And um, so a lot to cover. What, what we won't talk about, 
What we won't talk about, because I have nothing to say about it. Well, I have something to say about it, but it, I just find it sickening and and uh, and we is we're not going to talk about Russia and and uh, and Trump. We're just not going to talk about that. Uh, you can read about that everywhere else, pretty much, nonstop, twenty four seven. Every uh, every basically every major news outlet is covering that. Uh, you don't need to hear anything from me about it. Although, at some point, I'll have something to say about it. But uh, it's uh, it's. Uh, quite you know it's non-stop it's everywhere everybody's talking about this it's it's kind of nutty all right so uh so we're gonna we're gonna uh we're gonna cover all that we're gonna start with um let me just do something here we're, we're gonna start really with uh i'll turn uh you know universal basic income universal basic income so let's let's start with what it is, what is universal basic income, and uh, you know how does it how does it function? So I'm going to take as probably the best idea here is uh, is a proposal made by uh, by Charles Murray. Now Charles Murray is a pretty serious guy. I, I, nothing Charles Murray suggests should be taken lightly. He's not a lightweight. He's a he's a heavyweight. He put out a book that basically makes this uh, this case. It's called In Our Hands, A Plan to Replace the Welfare State. And um, the idea is this. Uh, you know, people out there, uh, we've got um, all these government programs that help people out. We've got welfare. We've got like 300 different welfare programs from food stamps to unemployment insurance, you know, insurance in quotes because it's not really insurance to all these other different types of, uh, of welfare and uh, government help and government assistance. You know, Social Security has this massive program uh, that if you get, um, you know, if, if, if you can't work or, or uh, you know, if you get injured, if you get something like that, there's huge amount of subsidies uh, that go to you. Uh, so, uh, you know, so you've got, you've got Social Security in it, and you've got Social Security. So if you get old, right, if you get old, this is covered. Uh, and, uh, and, you know, then there's Medicare. If you get sick and you're old, this, the government basically pays your health care bills. And then there's Medicaid, that if you're poor and you're sick, the government pays your medical bills. And then you've got, um, I don't know, what else do you have? Well, you've got a million different things. You've got governments at the state level, at the federal level, uh, redistributing wealth from some people to other people on, on just a massive scale and constantly and in a hundred different types of programs. It's not even one program. It's, it's all, you know, there's so many government agencies from housing agencies that subsidize housing for the poor to, uh, to all the different welfare agencies that exist out there. There are literally hundreds of programs. The big ones being, big ones, is just straight kind of welfare. But the really big ones, and I consider these welfare, I know many of you don't. The really big ones are, are Social Security, Medicare, and the big one right now that's being discussed as part of the Obamacare, so-called pretend, let's pretend we're going to repeal bill, uh, that Republicans uh, can't actually even do that. And that's a whole other topic I've already talked about. We might talk a little bit about today is the inability of Republicans to repeal Obamacare. But so here you and, and then you've got Obamacare, right? Which Obamacare in, its, in of itself is a massive subsidization of insurance rates. 
insurance rates to all different um, different people, right? So, so young people and old people and uh, sick people, everybody is getting a subsidy from the government, which is another form of welfare, right? So you've got, think about all the different ways, hundreds of different ways in which the government takes money from some people and give it to others. Now, put aside all the corporate welfare nonsense, all the subsidies there. We'll set those aside. We're not talking about those. We're just talking about like from person to person, person to person, redistribution of wealth, person to person, money taken from some and given to others, all in the name of helping the poor. And and really, this has got to push during two big pushes during three different administrations. During FDR's administration, when we got Social Security and we got much of the infrastructure of the welfare state. Johnson, where we got the war on poverty, the war on poverty, right? And of course, what, did the, what has happened since the war on poverty was started in the 1960s? Nothing. I mean, there's many people poor today as they were back then. It has done nothing to actually alleviate poverty. But, but as a consequence of that, we have had, you know, dozens and dozens and dozens of different, uh, different welfare programs all instituted in the name of the war on poverty. Right. So, uh, so that was uh, that was in the 1960s, and of course we got George W. Bush, uh, a big time, a, a big time, um, uh, you know, a, a welfare uh, proponent uh, who expanded Medicare through Part D of Medicare, expanded Medicare dramatically, and uh, you know, again, Medicare is a massive welfare program. Now, some of you say, but I pay my taxes. So only a fraction of Medicare's true costs are being paid by you. But it's not your money is paying for your expenses. Your money is going into a pool that then is given to some people. It's a massive redistribution of wealth. Your money is basically given to retired people today. So Medicare is a massive redistribution program. You cannot get away from that. And the same with Medicaid and the same with Social Security. The Social Security Trust Fund has no money in there because all the money that you have given through your payroll taxes has been spent already. What does it mean it's been spent already? It's been given to people. It's been redistributed. All right. So all of this, so that's just a set of context, right? We have massive quantities of Massive numbers of uh, welfare programs out there. And UBI, at its best, under the Charles Murray proposal, which I think is the best of all of them, would replace all of them with a fixed sum, same sum that everybody gets. All right. Uh, you're listening to your Run Book Show. We're talking about UBI today, or one of the topics we're going to talk about. Um, you're going to get a very unique perspective that you won't get anywhere else. Uh, share it. Link to this. Get your friends to listen. Get your friends um, engaged. You can call in 888-900-3393. We'll be taking calls after this break. You've been listening to your Ron Brooks Show. Best-selling author, prolific media contributor, PhD in finance. This is the Yaron Brooks Show. The Blaze Radio Network. You're listening to the Yaron Brooks Show. All right, we're, we're, we're talking about redistribution of wealth. We're talking about the welfare state 
and we're talking about proposals to replace much of the welfare state with what's called universal basic income, and a number of different proposals being floated out there from Silicon Valley, Mark Zuckerberg was talking about it the other day, about how wonderful it is that in Alaska they have the equivalent of universal basic income, which is money, you know, there's a big fund in Alaska that everybody in Alaska gets a check from. Um, it doesn't quite work that way, but but Mark Zuckerberg was romanticizing it. And then, and then you've got Elon Musk walking, going around the world saying, oh, jobs are going to be lost, nobody's going to be working in a few years because robots are going to do everything, and then what are we going to do? People are going to die. Unless you know how to build robots, or unless you know, well, robots are going to build robots, right? Human beings are going to be go extinct, according to Elon Musk, because of um, robots, artificial intelligence. So we need to keep ourselves alive by redistributing wealth from the few of us who are going to actually produce any wealth to the rest of us in the world. We're going to have to redistribute wealth from robots to the rest of us. And actually, I think Bill Gates a few months ago was talking about taxing robots, taxing robots because they produce the wealth, tax them, and uh, and then redistribute the wealth to the rest of us and the rest of us will be happy. All right. If you want to, end, I think we've got some problems on the phone lines, but you can try 888-900-3393. Uh, give it a try and see. Uh, but if you've got any ideas, comments, suggestions about uh, universal basic income, what's your view? What's your opinion about the whole thing? Let me know. Okay, so so universal basic income basically is, is at least the Charles Murray proposal, which I think is, is the best I've seen so far. So I'm going to take the best case, right? Basically says, we end all welfare programs, including, and I include under welfare programs, Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, and all the rest of the hundreds of other redistribution programs. So... Uh, you know, in the United States, we have 11 different uh, medical uh, welfare programs to aid the poor. 11 different programs on the federal level. We have cash aid. We have five different programs, right? Five different programs, uh, including the Earned Income Tax Credit, which we'll get to in a little bit, a little bit which is kind of a negative income tax. Um, we've got... Two, uh, 12 different food-type programs, food stamps, food subsidies, food stamps problem, right? We've got 15 different educational programs, money given to poor kids to go to school, but 15 different ones. And then we've got 13 housing programs, 13 different programs that are all mean-tested, that are all based on how poor you are, where we take money from some people and give it to others, Right? 15 social services programs, eight employment and training programs, and two programs focused on energy, I guess subsidizing energy for poor people, uh, uh, oil and gas and, and electricity and whatever. Right. Hundreds of these programs, hundreds. I mean, that's just the main big federal programs. The 80-plus federal welfare programs, the, the, the names of the departments, I've got a list here, it just goes on and on forever. That doesn't include any estate programs and all the rest of it. Why does it concern me, somebody asks. It concerns me because they're taking my money and they're spending it on all these programs. They're taking my money, my tax money, and they're dishing it out to millions of people in the most inefficient, ridiculous way. That's kind of the practical side of it. And then what right do they have to my money? They just take my money, they steal my money, and then they get to decide. They get to decide how to spend it. It's mine. 
why not why not me right why not me taking uh, decide how to spend my money it's my money it's not theirs how do you eat how do you, how do you get money you work if you work you earn money you earn it you're not stealing it you're not taking it from somebody else then you spend it any way you want and if you want to help people by giving that money to charity and by helping them out great good for you if it's consistent with your values and if you have the money to spare and if you don't can't think of better uses for the money go for it but that's not the system we have the system we have is you work hard you make the money and then the government steps in completely arbitrarily because some people voted for some idiots in Washington DC and they've determined the tax rate and they decide how much of your money they're going to take away and they're going to spend it on some things you like and some things you hate and and a lot of things you hate and you you have no say in it you have zero say in it and that's you know that's the world in which we live and that's this welfare state and it's so inefficient and it's so cumbersome and think about the hundreds of thousands of bureaucrats working in it who could be doing something productive actually creating wealth instead of redistributing it and sucking away their own salaries and what what Charles Murray suggests is very simple and very appealing to those of us who who, who think the government is 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 incredibly inefficient and uh, you know they are those of us who think it's immoral what the government is doing but but, in, but incredibly incredibly economically stupid and inefficient one solution to that is to get rid of all these programs get rid of all these programs and then instead just give people a check for a, a lump sum amount in Charles Murray uh, in Charles Murray's case it would be ten thousand dollars give everybody in the United States who's an adult ten thousand dollars and they can do whatever they want with that money but they're not gonna get anything else from the government that is it and whether they have a job or not they still get the ten thousand dollars so it it's not the case like I've seen uh, that often happens that you know you have a job and you're making you're making very little let's say barely barely surviving right and then um, and then you lose that job and now you're getting welfare because welfare is tax-free you're getting welfare that's worth more than what you were making in the job unemployment insurance all these 90 programs if you add them all up you're actually getting more than what you got on the job so getting a job now is a negative is is negative you have no incentive to go out and get a job your incentive is basically to stay on welfare so what the uh, alternative uh, universal basic income does is it does away with that because whether you have a job or don't have a job you still get the the, the basic income you still get the ten thousand dollars so your incentive now if you want to become wealthier is to get a job because you get to keep the rest all right so it's incredibly appealing and we'll get to why it's appealing in a minute we'll get to its advantages and then we'll talk about the disadvantages and then we'll get to see whether I think it's a good idea or not. Now we do have Stuart on the line. We'll get Stuart after the, the, the break that's coming up in just a few, really a few uh, seconds. And we'll talk to Stuart. If you want in on the conversation, you can call 888-900-3393. When we get back, 
We're going to talk more about the universal basic income. We're going to talk to Stuart, and we're going to talk to anybody else who called. You're listening to your Ron Brook Show. We'll be right back. You're on Brook on the Blaze Radio Network. All right, we're talking about universal basic income. You're listening to your Ron Brooks show on the Blaze Radio Network. And um, so we set it up, right? We set it up. We've got all these welfare programs. Uh, and uh, yet, the, the idea is, Charles Murray's idea is, to replace all these uh, welfare programs with just one, one simple payment. Reduce the bureaucracy, ultimately in the long term, reduce the cost of these welfare programs, take away the disincentive that people on welfare have to actually engage in work, actually uh, to make a living, and uh, sounds great. Now that's one one thrust, one one source of the argument, uh, and that's that's Charles Murray, and that's what the the conservatives and and the right uh, view. But there's a, there's another thrust of the argument, and that comes out of Silicon Valley. And the other thrust of the argument is, look, guys, robots are going to take all our jobs. So they're not gonna, there's not going to be work in the future to be done. There are not going to be opportunities to actually engage in, uh, in any kind of job. And suddenly, for a vast number of people on the planet who, who are engaged in manual labor, Manual labor, uh, manual labor is um, is gone, right? Manual labor is going to disappear. Robots are going to do everything. I mean, think about it. They're not going to be assembly line jobs. They really are not going to be assembly line jobs, and I, I agree completely. They're not going to be auto jobs and auto parts jobs and manufacturing jobs. All those jobs are going to be done by robots, and the robots are not sophisticated yet to do a lot of those jobs. But give it. 10, 20 years, and the robots will do pretty much every manufacturing jobs that you can imagine. But then it's not just the manual jobs. The whole area of what's called artificial intelligence where, where, is going to replace human beings in smart jobs as well, on figuring out uh, the optimal way to, to, to design and construct an assembly line. I don't know that human beings do that today, never mind in the future. Um, but, but, but here's one that, that I think is pretty amazing. There is software today that if you feed it in like MRI scans, is better at detecting certain cancers than any radiologist is. And you could imagine software a hundred times more powerful in 10 years because, because the rate at which these things get better is exponential. It, it, a lot of technology today follows Moore's law. Moore's law is that, uh, what was it, that the rate of, uh, the speed of uh, processing, computer processing, computer programming, it doubles every, I forget how many years uh, Moore's law is, but it's, 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 a, it's an exponential dramatic growth. Maybe somebody, somebody in one of the chats can remind me uh, uh, what law, Moore's law does in terms of growth. So imagine 
this uh, software, this smart software, the software that can analyze huge quantities of data, software that can actually learn, learn in a sense from the data. Most lawyers every year doubles, right? So imagine the growth path when that happens and you can see it actually happening. In computer processing power, somebody else says two years. All right, when you guys decide whether it's a year or two years, let me know. We've got we've got conflict on the uh, on the chat board. Um, but imagine imagine what would happen in terms of robots, in terms of software, in terms of AI, in terms of all these things to all these jobs, including you know things like radiology. So it's every two years a double. Sorry, not every year, every two years, including radiology. It's massive growth. And you know, so radiologists are going to go away, but but there are thousands of jobs that are going to disappear. I mean, one of the things I tell people is one of the things you should do, just as a self help thing, as 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 taking responsibility for your own life, is really caring about your own life. Is think, is think, consider as part of your plan of your career. Can a robot or a computer take my job in the next five years, ten years, twenty years? Take truck drivers. There are three and a half million truck drivers in the United States. Three and a half million truck drivers in the United States. And the real question is, what are they going to do when you get self-driving trucks? Now, some people think that's five years away. I think it's more like 10, 20 years away. But at some point, those three and a half million people will not have a job driving trucks. So what happens to them? And Elon Musk and Zuckerberg and a lot of these high-tech guys are saying nothing, they're going to starve unless we do something about it. And the solution, therefore, is to guarantee a basic income, is to say everybody gets something. Now, they would probably do it higher than 10000 because they don't think these people will ever get a job, so they're going to have to make it enough so people can really live on, so they'll make it more than $10,000. Uh, uh, Charles Murray suggests 10,000 because he actually expects these people to get a job above and beyond the 10,000. 10,000 is just a basic floor, kind of a social, a real social security for everybody, right? So this is the idea. So you've got two strands, a very kind of strand that comes from the high-tech industry, uh, primarily held by, by people who have more left-leaning views, and that is the idea that uh, people are just not going to have jobs because of robots, because of artificial intelligence. And then you have a whole strand that comes more from the right, more for conservatives, although a lot of uh, the left supports this as well, that just as a way of being more efficient in replacing welfare, we've got to take care of people, we've got to give them some basic way of living. The system we have today is, is going bankrupt, and it is going bankrupt. This country will be bankrupt because of Social Security and Medicare. It's going bankrupt so we can, we can simplify it, we can cut costs, we can cut bureaucracy and make it more efficient and take away the disincentive that people have when they're on welfare to get a job. All right, so um, that's where we are. Let's take, let's take Stuart, let's take a call from Stuart quickly and then, uh, and then uh, we're going to take a break and then we're going uh, to go back to a further discussion of the advantages, disadvantages of, of the, this kind of scheme. Hey, Stuart, how's it going? Aloha. Aloha. Great. Go ahead. I want to ask you about the minimum wage. Last year, Jerry Brown, the governor of California, you know, wanted to raise the minimum wage. And he said raising the minimum wage actually does not make sense economically. But morality requires that he do it anyway. And I thought, what does it mean for the minimum wage 
to make sense economically. It means it does what people purport it would do, which yeah. is improve living standards of low-income people. And he admitted minimum wage doesn't do that. And yet he's saying morality requires him to do that, to raise minimum wage. I know you're you're right, but and, and but I'm gonna I'm going to um, I'm going to defer that question to the second part of the show after I finish talking about universal basic income. Uh, I'm going to talk about minimum wages, and this is a great point you bring up about Governor Brown, California's governor, saying because some people uh, maybe didn't hear you saying that uh, the minimum wage doesn't work economically, but morally we're obliged to do it, which is so perverse and so distorted and so nuts that uh, I'm going to have to, I'll talk about that when I talk about the minimum wage. So thanks to it. Thanks for bringing that up. Uh, I appreciate it, but I, I want to wait with the minimum wage discussion until after I finish the discussion of UBI. All right. Uh, you know, we've got, we've got some stuff to say here uh, about UBI, so um, uh, let's finish with that. Stuart, thanks for the call. All right. So we've, we've talked about what it is, what UBI is. Um, We've talked about why it's coming up. Charles Murray, people say, our system currently is inefficient. It's going bankrupt. And this Silicon Valley say, all jobs are going to be replaced by robots, AI. Is there any truth to those claims? One. Two, if we instituted UBI, what are the advantages? What are the disadvantages? And bottom line, good thing, bad thing. We're going to cover all that on the Iran Brook Show right after this break. You're listening to Iran Brook Show on The Blaze. Israeli military veteran and radical for capitalism. It's the Yaron Brook Show on the Blaze Radio Network. We're talking about the universal basic income today, and uh, it's why it's why it's in the news, why people care about it, and uh, what its advantages and disadvantages. So let's let's go quickly over its advantages, and and it has some some uh, you know pretty significant advantages. Um, I think the biggest advantage is it gets rid of this unbelievable bureaucracy that's involved in welfare. It gets rid of all these pressure groups, of all the people who are lobbying and pushing for this little welfare program versus that little welfare program. And let's be clear, what, what Charles Murray is proposing is actually a constitutional amendment that prohibits any other welfare program from being passed other than this universal basic income. So it replaces everything. It gets rid of Medicare and Medicaid and Social Security and all the food stamps and food programs and, I don't know, cash programs and education, you know, education grants and housing and all the different things. And it's a place with one thing. So it means getting rid of bureaucrats, hundreds of thousands probably of them. It means increasing efficiency, but more importantly than anything in my view, and I don't think Charles Murray really talks about this much, is getting rid of the pressure groups, getting rid of of the lobbying, getting rid of the constant, uh, you know, I want this and I want that and, I, you know, I want to go after these guys and, and the constant haggling and, 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 and constant warfare that the current welfare state 
creates the welfare state as it is today is a is a system of pressure group warfare this pressure group is trying to steal my money uh, and this pressure group wants more of my money than that pressure groups and they're fighting between each other for my money and your money and to raise the taxes on all of us to take all of our money and, and these days because of the debt they're really arguing about our children's money and our grandchildren's money and they're fighting and they're fighting with money and they're fighting with votes and uh, and they're fighting in a sense uh, in the streets by by threatening politicians by threatening us the people with the money so the system we have today is is basically you know gang warfare out there it's it's pressure group politics and this is what you see with all these different um factions with all these different lobbyists in each little group and each little program has an army of lobbyists, an army of supporters, an army of people that rally around it. And, and take Medicare. Medicare is an old people's program. Old people love Medicare and old people vote. So you can't touch Medicare because old people vote and they threaten congressmen that if they don't protect Medicare, they're not going to get their votes. And there's a massive lobby organization, organizations in Washington, D.C., just dedicated for Medicaid. And then Medicaid has its constituency, and then doctors have to decide whether they benefit the most. And the, the American Doctors Association has to decide where they're going to get the most goodies from, from which program should they support. And why is it so hard to get rid of Obamacare right now? Among many things, one of the reasons, maybe not the primary reason, is that too many people are making money off of Medicare, off of Obamacare right now. And they don't want... They don't want uh, the, uh, you know, they don't want it go go or go away. It's a goodie. It's a goodie that they want to keep. So, Medicare, uh, you know, each one of these, each one of these has its own gang, its own group that is fighting for it, both in the public and in Washington D.C in terms of the lobbyist, in terms of congressmen, in terms of everything else. So the beauty of UBI, the thing that I find appealing about it, I have to admit, is it gets rid of all of that. Gets rid of all of that. Now you have one program. We have one program. Everybody is getting a set amount. Um, it's automatic. It, 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 you know, the money comes into the treasury. It goes out. It, there's no bureaucracy associated with it. They don't have to measure how much money you made yesterday, last year. They don't care about how you're using your health care. You use this money to buy health insurance. And if you're on Medicare, it goes away. You use the money to buy health insurance. Social Security goes away. You use this money to live off of if you're old. And if you want to live off of more than $10,000 a year, you do something unthinkable. Revolutionary. You actually save. You save. So how we actually get there, it, 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 you know, is a question. How do we transition to this system? But as it stands right now, um, I mean, put aside the how we get there. It eliminates all these programs. It's simple. It gets rid of the biggest welfare programs, which are Medicare, Medicaid, and Social Security. And it gives people personal responsibility. They now get to decide how to live their life, how much to work, how much to save. They know they're going to get this amount and that's it. And then what can they do with that? How can they live on that? The, you create private markets and insurance because you get the money. 
You don't get insurance from the government. What you get is money, and then you can buy insurance with that money. You can decide how to use that money. Hey, lots, lots, and lots of positive benefits to this. It increases personal responsibility. It decreases, if it's at 10000 like the Charles Murray program, it, it, it decreases bureaucracy. It decreases pressure group politics. It decreases gang warfare. And it increases dramatically uh, the marketplace for insurance, for health care, for all these other things. And we'll get, we'll get into um, other ways in which it's a benefit uh, when we get back after I've got a hard break here. I guess for news, it's it's the it's the top of the hour break. But when we get back, we'll talk about more of those advantages, and then of course we'll talk about the disadvantages, the significant disadvantages. Don't get me wrong, I'm not going to come out in the end for UBI, but it's interesting. It's interesting, and it's important to recognize why it's appealing, and it's important to recognize that it could be, it could actually be a way to get rid of welfare altogether. All right. Um, you're listening to Run Book Show on the Blaze Radio Network, and uh, we're going to go to a break here, and we'll be back to finish this topic and to talk about minimum wage laws. You're listening to the Yaron Brook Show on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome to a discussion of radical fundamental principles of freedom, rational self-interest, laissez-faire capitalism, and individual rights. The Yaron Brook Show starts now. All right. Welcome to our two of the Yaron Brook Show. And uh, we are... Uh, sound here sounds weird. All right. Uh, we are going to be talking about um, UBI. Are you, getting, uh, are you getting weird sound? All right. We're going to be talking about UBI. And uh, let me just do something here. UBI minimum wage and uh, and we'll see what else we can fit in. Uh, it's uh, it should be uh, should be an interesting hour. All right, um, let's see. Uh, something's something's weird here. One second. All right. All right. We'll uh, we'll have to uh, deal with what we have. All right. So. Uh, UBI. We've been talking about uh, for the last uh, for the last while about uh, universal basic income. We've talked about why it is uh, it is considered such a such a good thing, and uh, you know a lot of groups, a lot of people from Silicon Valley all the way to Charles Murray, are big supporters of this idea of universal basic income, of universal basic income. Because the real question is, you know, is a good thing a bad thing? And I and as I said in a previous hour. The good thing about it, the good thing about it is that it gets rid of a massive bureaucracy. It gets rid of tons of people who uh, work today in the welfare state. It gets rid of the pressure groups. It gets rid of the bureaucrats. It gets rid of the lobbyists. And it simplifies everything. It simplifies and makes far more efficient everything. And it's also true that if jobs completely did disappear, which I think, by the way, is complete nonsense, but we'll get to that then it will give people some basic incomes they don't all just starve, right? All right. Um, now, if, if you have any other advantages that you can think of, uh, you know, give me a call. Um, it's uh, The number here is 888-900-3393, 888-900-3393. 
And uh, give me a call. Let me know what you think. Uh, let me know what you think about UBI and whether you think um, whether you think uh, there are advantages that I've missed. There's something that I'm missing here. So let's, let's talk about the disadvantages uh, of UBI. And I think, let me just be clear, I think the real advantages. I, I don't think this is, this is why it's so appealing. And it's so appealing to smart people. It, it, it's, it's so appealing to people who, who, who want to see government become more efficient. And of course, this is part of the problem. What happens we come, when government becomes more efficient at violating our rights? What happens when government becomes more efficient at taking our money away from us and redistributing it? And at the end of the day, that's what would happen. It wouldn't stop the taking. It wouldn't stop the redistribution. It would make that redistribution more efficient, less, if you will, offensive, less disturbing. One of the best things about the welfare state today is that it's going bankrupt. And as I said before, Social Security and Medicare are going to drive us into bankruptcy. And that's a good thing, because it's going to force us to confront the issue of redistribution of wealth. It's going to force us to confront the issue of handing people handouts and what that does to the people you're handing the money to. Because one of the things all proponents of welfare ignore and certainly the UBI people ignore because they want to do this on steroids, is the damage you do to people when you tell them, don't work, you don't need to work, here's a check, forget about taking care of yourself. Don't be ambitious because this is enough money to take care of you. Now, the advantage of Charles Murray's $10,000 is it's not really enough, and so there would be some incentive to work. But don't work too hard. Don't be too ambitious. Don't want to make too much money. This is enough to live on. It's a universal basic income. Why try for more than that? Think about what that does to a human spirit, what that does to a human being. The fact is that part of where we get our self-esteem, part of where we get the confidence to be alive, to, to enjoy our life, to, to get a sense of belonging on this planet, in this world, in our, in, in our, it comes from our capacity to know, it comes from our knowledge, not really the capacity, it comes from our knowledge, so we can take care of ourselves, that we feed ourselves, that we put bread on the table, that we feed our family, that we take care of their needs. And it used to be our, their needs were just bread on the table, but today their need is an iPhone. And tomorrow their need will be a robot, a personalized robot. And our self-esteem as human beings, and therefore our happiness as human beings, comes from the knowledge that at whatever level, at whatever level, it is our work, it is our own ability, it is our own efforts, it's in our own mind, our own thinking, that provides for people, the people we care for, and our, most importantly, for ourselves. Think about somebody poor, before the welfare state existed, who worked for a living, never made a lot of money. Think of the, the, those European immigrants who came in the 19th century, barely survived, but they did survive. Maybe they were farmers in the Midwest. Maybe they were working in the east side of New York at some manual job or a little store or something, and they barely survived. But you know what? Every day, they put food on the table for their families. Every day, they put some money aside for their kids' future education. Every day, they invested in their own future in one way or another. So every day, 
They work to make their lives slightly better. Think about the self-esteem, the pride, and ultimately a consequence of self-esteem and pride is happiness. You can't get self-esteem without taking care of yourself. We can't get self-esteem without the knowledge that you can survive in this world, that you can thrive in this world, that you can take care of yourself and the people you love, the people that you're responsible for. When we get people welfare, we are destroying their capacity to happiness. We're destroying their capacity to have self-esteem. Now, once in a while, you'll hear a story where welfare helped somebody get over a bad spot and ultimately they succeeded in life. Uh, J.K. Rollins of Harry Potter fame comes to mind. Sure. And, and, but that's the exception. That's not the rule. You hear much more about generations that have been in welfare, about people who don't go to work because they get food stamps, they get, they clobber together all these different welfare checks and they manage somehow. And think about the incentives where we don't save anymore because of social security. And we don't think about our healthcare needs and costs and, and relationships because we have Medicare and because the government's going to take care of our healthcare. And socialized medicine would make that a thousand times worse. Think about the fact that we are banding the responsibility over our own lives because we're letting government take care of it through the welfare state. So it's, um, you know, it's really destructive. Welfare is really destructive to the people receiving it. But what about the people from which it's taken? What could I do with the money if it stayed with me? Well, I could, I could, I could make my life better. I could invest it and, God forbid, even create some jobs. I could start a little business. Maybe I'm... Maybe I've got some ideas and I want to be an entrepreneur, but I don't have the capital to get it going. And if I didn't pay so much taxes, I'd be able to save a little bit and actually create a business. Maybe I could save something for retirement because I don't believe Social Security will be there for me in retirement. Maybe I can take care of my kids better. Maybe I can send them to a better university. There are a million things people can do if they got to keep their own money. And maybe I would give some of their money to charity to help the J.K. Rollins of the world, the people who really get into bad lot and really have the ambition and the skill to be successful. Because you know what? In a truly free market, I would not give charity to everybody. I don't believe everybody deserves charity. I don't believe it's because somebody needs stuff, they deserve my help. I'm happy to help people who have fallen on bad luck and who, if I help them, will be successful, will work hard, will strive to rise up in spite of that. But I don't want to help everybody. The wife-beating drunk deserves to stay poor, deserves to have nothing. I don't want to help them. All right, so it's the huge disadvantages to the welfare, any welfare, any redistribution. But what is it specifically about UBI? What is it specifically about the universal basic income that makes it particularly damaging. We'll talk about that when we come back right after this break. You're listening to Iran Book Show on the Blaze Radio Network. PhD, author, media contributor. This is the Iran Book Show, the Blaze Radio Network.
listening to The Aaron Brooks Show on the Blaze Radio Network. We got a couple of callers, which is good. So uh, we're going to take the callers in a few minutes. So we were talking about we're talking about universal basic income. We've talked about what it is, why it's coming up, um, the bankruptcy of the welfare states, the the, the literal bankruptcy, the, the financial bankruptcy of the welfare state. Robots are going to take our jobs, and we need to take care of people. Is the other, of course, reason. And uh, we talked a little bit about the advantages that uh, takes gets rid of the gets rid of the bureaucracy. It it simplifies it it. It does away with the bankruptcy part, so it's it's more cost-effective long-term. Short run, very expensive, long-term, more efficient. Uh, we also started to talk about the disadvantages, one of the big ones being uh, just the welfare, the fact that you're giving money to people, the immorality of doing that, the destruction of their lives that is a consequence of you doing that, and then also the fact that money is taken from you, from me, from all of us, and the immorality of that, and, and what we could do with our own money, and, and the, the fact that... You know, here's something Ayn Rand once said that is very powerful. It shouldn't be right. It, uh, let's do it this way. If something is immoral for an individual, I'm paraphrasing. If something is immoral for an individual to do, then it's immoral for a group to do. If something is immoral for an individual to do, it's immoral for a group to do. If it's immoral and wrong and illegal for you to steal money from another human being, it's immoral and should be illegal for a group to be able to steal money from an individual. And that group is the government. It can't be right for a government to do something that it's wrong for an individual to do. If I can't come up to you with a gun and force you to give me your money, it can't be moral and right for the government to be able to come to me and take my money away. Even if it thinks it's doing it for the so-called public interest and common good and to benefit other people. That is just wrong. Wrong. Okay? All right. So um, we got a couple of calls. So we, we've got the immorality and the wrongness. I've, I want to say some more about the disadvantages and why I think it's so dangerous. But let's, let's take a couple of calls. Uh, let's start actually with Luke in Louisiana. Luke wants to say something positive about UBI, I, I think. Hey, Luke, how's it going? Uh, hey, how's it going, Mr. Yaron? Uh, good. First, I want to say that I really, really like your perspective. You have a very fair and good-natured logic that you apply to your to your uh, discussion here. Um, well, that's great. Not not many people call me fair, so thank you. <laughs> yeah. I really appreciate that. Uh, do you, uh, can I ask you, do you have any books, actually? I do. I have two books. You go to Amazon. I've got two main books, and I've got a few books where I contributed essays. So the two books that I would I, I, I suggest you get is the first is called Free market revolution, free market revolution, and I cover a lot of the of what I cover today in there about what free markets should look like and what the moral foundations of a proper free market is. So I recommend that. And then the second one is called Equal is Unfair. Equal is Unfair. So free market revolution and equal is unfair are the two books you can get them on Amazon. And then if you look at my name on Amazon, you'll get some other books as well. Some on awesome. policy. I, I and will other be stuff sure to do that. Yep. Yeah. Um, Thanks. So. You had asked if you think that you missed anything on the UBI for us to go ahead and let you know. And, and I don't know if you covered this and I missed it, but one thing about it is that a, a lot of people claim discrimination with the welfare, you know, because oh, I'm this, I only got this and stuff like that. And with what you're talking about, nobody can claim that anymore. That's and, actually uh, really good. I hadn't thought of that. Do with it is what you do with it. I hadn't thought of that. You know, we believe in equality before the law. We believe that the government should never discriminate, that the government should never discriminate. And... Um, 
uh, you're absolutely right. With UBI, there's no discrimination. Every adult gets ten thousand dollars, and it, right. no matter your race, no matter your color, no matter your sex, no matter your sexual orientation, no matter your translabeling or whatever it's called, right? Uh, right. There's no bureaucrat who can then say, oh, I don't like you, so you're not going to get food stamps this week, which I sure happens every day. Um, instead, you just get a check in the mail or you get a check deposited directly into your bank account, which would be the ideal way, to, the efficient way to do it. So, yes, it would do away with government discrimination. I agree. That is, a, that is another significant advantage of it. So thanks, Luke. Thank you. For taking Appreciate my call. it. All right, great. Yeah, and I'm sure if we thought about this, we could come up with other, with other advantages. If you take that human element out, if you take the, the, the judgment out of, of who deserves and who doesn't deserve and who should get it and who shouldn't get it, you can come up with lots of ways in this, where this becomes fairer, fairer in quotes, and more efficient, right? And more efficient. All right. Now, uh, by the way, Luke, I, given that you asked my, my books, that's great. Yeah, I know, but he hopefully he's still listening. I know you're off the line. But but one thing I would do is is read Ayn Rand, and this is generally for those listening. Read Ayn Rand, A-Y-N-R-A-N-D, Atlas Shrugged, The Fountainhead. Everybody, there shouldn't be an American who hasn't read those books. The most important books probably in American literature um, and American philosoph philosophical thought. So uh, The Fountainhead, Atlas Shrugged, all the ideas I have here. A uh, you know, I'm trying to interpret Ayn Rand to the best of my ability. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to say that I speak for Ayn Rand. Nobody speaks for Ayn Rand. But I'm trying to interpret, I'm trying to apply her ideas to the best of my ability. So Ayn Rand. And, and if you're interested in Ayn Rand, then also you should go to the Ayn Rand Institute website, uh, aynrand.org, A-Y-N-R-A-N-D.org. All of you. If you've read Atlas Shrugged at some point, you remember it was a great book, go to aynrand.org. And buy my books, buy Ayn Rand books, and 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 go and go and look at the ideas on the website. I, you know, these are the ideas that are going to change the world. These are the going to ideas that these are the ideas that are going to save America. Okay, let's go to Michael in Tennessee. Who also wants to talk about the UBI. Hey, Michael. Hey, Ron. I called last week and kind of started the conversation with the UBI. Okay, so this is your fault. And I and yeah. I thought I thought today that I'll spend a couple of segments in UBI and that'll be and I'll go into the minimum wage and of course forget about it. This is this looks like it's going to take up the whole show. Um, well, I, look, hopefully I, I, not I'll too boring honest. for you guys. Yeah, I, I'll be honest. I was just I was mostly playing devil's advocate. I wanted to pick your brain a little bit. Sure. Uh, but I wanted to tell you another disadvantage, or it might not be a disadvantage, but I, I've never bought into the automation idea. I just never have. Right. And the reason I haven't is because you can go back, and I, as I mentioned before, I'm a student of Milton Friedman and all those great thinkers. Sure. And, and Ayn Rand was probably my favorite. You can go back and watch their old interviews and stuff, and even back in the 60s and the 70s, they were talking about, oh, we're 10 years away from complete automation where we won't have anything for people. And it never happened. You, you, and the, look, the reason I yeah, – yeah, go ahead. Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead, Michael, quickly. The reason I don't think it happens is because I think that's one of the beautiful things about the market is it's kind of like a scientific idea that the more you know, the more you find out you don't know. Well, uh, let's, uh, let me put it differently. I would put okay. it this way. Human needs are infinite. There's no end to human needs. I need a massage once every two weeks. I need an iPhone. I am going to need a personal robot one day. I'm going to need, you know, so many people, so many women today need 
a, 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 a pedicure and a manicure once a week or whatever, right? These needs yeah. didn't exist 50 years ago, but they all exist today. And since human needs are infinite, there's no limit to them. We're always, as rich as we get, there's always going to be more and more things that we want. And there's always going to be more and more um, people that are going to have to be employed in order to satisfy those needs. And the issue on automation is a lack of imagination. Michael, I'm going to have to uh, cut you off because we're going to a hard break. But thanks for calling. Okay. It's, a, it's a lack of imagination. It's the problem of not being able to imagine the wonderful jobs that will exist in the future, but they will be there, just that they've been there for the last 200 years where the Luddites have told us over and over and over again the jobs are going to disappear, and they never do. All right, we're going to take a hard break here, and we'll be back. You're listening to the Iran Brooks Show on the Blaze Radio Network. You won't hear traditional political views here. This is the Iran Brooks Show on the Blaze Radio Network. Brooke. All right, this show has basically turned into a universal basic income show. <laughs> Within the whole two hours on this, who would have thought? I, I always think, I, you know, I'm not going to have enough. There's not that much to say about this. And, and the time just runs like that. And with the commercial breaks and everything, there's really only about an hour, 15 minutes. But a whole hour, 15 minutes, just in universal basic income. Whoa. I mean, it's um, it's it's a lot. So uh, I apologize. We'll, we will get next week, I guess, to the minimum wage. I, I I'll talk a little bit about Ayn Rand in the news towards the end of the show. But I want to wrap up this universal basic income, at least in this segment, um, so, uh, so and, and leave a little bit of time for, for talk about uh, Ayn Rand in the New York Times this week. Um, so advantages, simplicity, getting rid of inefficiencies, uh, getting rid of the human factor, lack of discrimination, all of those good things, that's, that's all good. That, that, is all, uh, that are all advantages to uh, UBI. Um, we talked about robots, and, and really I think they, this is the hubris and the arrogance of uh, Silicon Valley, that they think this time it's different. Every other time in human history, technology has created more jobs than it's destroyed, but this time it's going to be different. This time, this time. Jobs are going to be destroyed, and there's going to be nothing to replace them. And, and yeah, some jobs are going to be destroyed. Many, 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 many jobs. Maybe even most jobs are going to be destroyed. But there are going to be so many more jobs created. Created in fields that we are too ignorant today and don't have enough imagination today to actually imagine. But they're going to be there because human needs. We, we, I mean, who could have imagined? that we would live at the standard of living we live today and we would need all the things that we need today, that we would consume all the things we consume today 50 years ago, 100 years ago, 200 years ago. Almost nobody imagined it. Not in the detail. Not in the detail. No way. No way. So 20, 30, 40 years from now, when we're that rich, when robots are creating so much wealth, I mean, whoa, we will, we will want personal account. And, you know, maybe we'll work a lot fewer hours and we'll have hobbies. And those hobbies will require employing people. So maybe we'll only work 10 hours a week. Who said 40 hours a week is the right amount? 
I mean, why a two-day weekend? Why not a three-day weekend? Who knows what the right level of work is for any given human being at any given point in time? And who knows what kind of hobbies we could have, how many careers we could have, how many, how many things we could be doing in life. I, I truly believe you need a central career in life. But that central career, there's no time limit on what that central career would be, on how much of your life you need to invest in it in terms of time. And not only that, we're going to be living to 120, 150, 200 years old. I, I truly believe that. Hopefully, if everything, you know, if we get the robots and if technology is allowed to advance and if, if, if we don't regulate the life extension businesses out of existence, we're going to live long. So there are going to be many careers, many things to do, and lots of opportunities for people to fulfill our needs through their employment, through their the idea of new services and new things to do. Just think of how much entertainment we have today versus 100 years ago. We have millions of people in the entertainment business, millions. Couldn't imagine that 100 years ago. And maybe, maybe we're underinvested in entertainment. Maybe when we get so rich, we'll want more entertainers because we'll have more time on our hands better entertainment, and more of it. Who knows? All right. I mean, people are complaining today that there's not enough time to watch all the good television. Well, if we have robots, there'll be more time. It's not a bad thing. Um, and we'll be so much richer. Just, just, and this is part of the problem with the uh, UBI. That as we become richer, what we define as poor, what we define as needs, what we define as basic is going to increase. It's not going to stay 10,000. And it's not going to go up just by inflation. It's every technological, like, like is an iPhone, part of what is required as a basic income. Well, yeah, well, we have to price that in and replacing it every year, of course. And autonomous cars and whatever else. And as I said, the personal robot. So the pressure group now is going to be from all those people who are living off of that $10,000 who that $10,000 is a significant portion of their income. And that could be a lot of people. They will now create this massive block of pressure, this massive block of voters, who will then constantly advocate for increasing the UBI. They'll constantly complain about their needs not being met. They'll constantly complain about they're not buying the best health insurance policy available to them. They're not being able, they're not able to save to retirement. They're not able to take care of their kids. They're not able to do this or that or whatever. So they'll be constantly advocating for an increase and it'll constantly creep up and up and up and take more and more and more resources. And now it'll be one group. It won't be many groups fighting each other. It will be one group coalescing with one agenda fighting for it with a lot of political power, the same kind of political power, more even than what people have today who advocate for Social Security and Medicare. You do not, you can't touch Social Security and Medicare. Why? Because it's one voting block. It's a voting block that votes. It's a voting block that's vocal. It's a voting block that's passionate. And nobody wants to challenge that. So I believe that if you instituted UBI in spite of all the advantages of it, and in spite of the fact that if you had a UBI, it's a way in which we could advocate. Okay, every year it's going to be cut by $500. Every year it's going to be cut by $500. In 20 years, it's zero. See, that would be my ideal. And if you could put that in the Constitution, I would go with it. 
Right now, what Charles Murray suggests where it increases by the rate of inflation. What I suggest is you put in the Constitution, the UBI, let's say it's $10,000, and it ratchets down every year until in 20 years it is gone. And there is no redistribution of wealth, zero in the entire economy. That kind of UBI I'd be for. That I'd be for. That would be the equivalent of doing away with Social Security by ratcheting it down. Getting rid of Medicare by ratcheting down over a generation or two, over about 20 years, maybe even over 40 years. But it has to be encoded in the legislation. And that's, people are saying that's never going to happen. But is getting rid of the welfare state any other means going to happen? Is, are we going to get rid of food stamps? Is that ever going to happen? That's such a defeatist attitude. Right? Never going to happen. Well, why are we even trying? Why are we even fighting the welfare state? What do we want? Just incremental little changes? Let's not be ambitious. God forbid ambition. The last ambitious people in American politics were the founding fathers. And look where that got them. Sorry. <laughs> Getting excited here. So no. I mean, you've got to be ambitious. You've got to be idealistic. Yes, we're idealists. As the founding fathers were idealists. And the beauty of the founding fathers is they took their idealism and implemented it. And it's time for us to intensify the fight so that we can take our idealism and implement it. Our idealism, indeed, is more consistent with the founding, than the founding fathers and is consistent with the founding fathers. More consistent than and consistent with than any other ideology. So, yeah, let's bring back the founding fathers. Let's bring back the sense of self-responsibility. Let's get rid of the welfare state. And UBI, with a ratcheting down every year, might be the most effective way of getting rid, finally, completely, of the welfare state. But if we don't ratchet it down, it's a disaster. And, of course, we've talked about the moral aspect of this and the disastrous moral consequences of a UBI. All right, um, so... Annette, I'm against the UBI, I'm against the UBI because I don't believe it can be ratcheted down. Because I, but if I believed that you could have that in the legislation, then I'd be all for it. But you have to acknowledge the benefits of a UBI. You have to acknowledge that in many respects it would, have, it, it, it would improve on what we have today. The worst thing about the UBI, and I'll end with this, is that it legitimizes the idea of redistribution of wealth. It, by us advocating for it, we're legitimizing the welfare state. We're legitimizing that it's okay to take from one person and give to the other. So in my view, we have to fight against UBI, but we have to fight against the whole welfare system. And what we need to propose as a replacement for the welfare system as we phase it out is actually something like the UBI with a ratchet downwards. That, to me, is what we should be advocating for in the name of doing away with the welfare state. Right? But it has to be in the name of doing the in a way of the welfare state, not as a compromise, as a step in the direction to. Not as a not as a way to benefit the recipients, but as a way to get rid of welfare altogether, forever, completely. All right. So UBI has benefits; it has disadvantages. But if we have a clear goal of getting rid of getting rid of welfare state completely, then UBI could be a, a method to get us there. Uh, all welfare, including UBI, are immoral. But if we're going to get to the point where we don't have any welfare, there has to be a transition. There has to be a transition. You can't just end Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, and everything tomorrow. There has to be a transition. UBI, UBI 
is a good way to transition from where we are today, you'll be able to ratchet down to a completely free moral society in which there is zero redistribution of wealth. All right, you are listening to Your Own Book Show, and we're going to be right back after some messages, pay the bills and everything. Uh, we're on the Blaze Radio Network. Talk to you soon. This is the Yaron Brooks Show. The Blaze Radio Network. Is the Yaron Brooks Show. So one thing I think you have to be really careful of is that we don't get UBI and all the other welfare programs as well. So one condition on the UBI has to be that there really is nothing else. And, and that's, I agree with those of you who think that's completely unrealistic. What we're likely to get, and this is why on net I fall under the heading of not promoting the UBI, is what we're likely to get is everything, all the other welfare programs, and then on top of that, UBI as well. That's what happened to Milton Friedman's negative income tax. Now, I was going to cover a different topic this last segment, but I'm not. Let's just wrap this up. Might as well. I do encourage you all to go look at the New York Times in an article about Ayn Rand. Um, also, if you look at Ayn Rand, and I, there were a number of articles, uh, two articles this week, where they interviewed me about uh, Silicon Valley and Ayn Rand. So I recommend both articles. So just do a Google search in Google News on Ayn Rand and Yaron Brook and you'll find them. We'll talk about them on another show. Um, so I wanted to mention, I want to mention that issue about UBI uh, that you cannot, right, you cannot have both UBI and, the, and, and that's likely what's going to happen because how are you going to unwind all these programs unless there's, I don't know what has to happen. And, and look, all these programs exist because we have, we have this wrong moral code that we believe in. We have a moral code that says that other people's needs is a, is a claim on our time and our money on us as human beings. And, and I got, a, I got a, a comment here by George, and I can't pronounce, Christidopoulos, something like that from Greece. And he says, no one needs to pay to save their lives. No one needs to pay to, to earn a living. Uh, most important, you bring your politics, thinking, idealism, and work in the 21st century and in line with the rest of the modern world. That's right. Nobody needs to pay for your food. Nobody, you don't need to do that because we're so rich, we could just hand it out to people, right? That's the defense of UBI, right? You greedy bastard. It's a, you know, you, can, you should be, you should be, you should encourage the government to redistribute your wealth. Well, no, it's mine. How do you get the claim against my money? How do you get, because you need an education, because you need it, your parents didn't save money or you didn't save money, you have a claim against my life? Oh, no. Oh, no, mister. My life is mine. It's not yours. It doesn't belong to everybody who has a need out there. It doesn't belong to the poor of the world, the needy of the world. I'm sorry, George. You want an education? Go work and save some money and get an education. You want to pay to get a trade? To, to learn a trade or to save your life uh, in healthcare, then save some money and use it for that. My life's not yours. I'm not your slave. You don't get, you don't get to use my money any way you want. You don't get to take my money 
take my life, take my time, take my effort, whenever, to whatever extent you want, for the sake of you. And this is the fundamental moral point, guys, that, 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 that the only way we're going to change the welfare state is we have to accept. We have to accept what I think the founders understood, but only Ayn Rand and her philosophy has articulated. We have to understand that your life is yours to pursue your happiness by achieving your rational values. Your life is not other people, uh, you know, you don't owe your life to other people. You don't owe them a moral obligation to take care of them. You, their need is not a moral claim against you. I reject the morality of altruism. I reject the morality that says that morality means taking care of other people. You want to take care of other people? Fine, that's what charity is for. You want to take care of other people? Make sure it's in your self-interest that it's moral to do so. Not taking care of everybody is not necessarily moral. But, but somebody else's need, somebody else's suffering, somebody else's disadvantage is not a moral case against me. It's not a claim against my life. My life's mine, not yours. I don't care how suffering you are. I don't care how miserable you are. You want my help? Ask for it. You want my help? Come and make a case why I should help you. But to pull a gun out and to force me, which is what warfare is, force is wrong and immoral. And UBI and the entire welfare state should be abolished in the name of morality, the morality of individualism, the morality that says that your life belongs to you, not to society, not to the group, not to tribe, not to anybody else. So let's dedicate this show to living your own life for yourself. You're listening to Ron Book Applying the principles of rational self-interest and individual rights on your radio. It's the Yaron Brooks Show on the Blaze Radio Network.